Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. Nothing I desire compares with you. This morning we're starting a new series called Precede in Prayer, and, uh, I, and being in the ministry, I've recognized that the one area that most people talk to me about when we talk about spiritual things, when we talk about holy habits, things that you can do to grow in your faith, things that will strengthen you as a believer, for those that come to Christ, this new idea of prayer, those who have known Christ, this idea of commitment to prayer, the importance of prayer. Uh, the commitment that it takes each day to prayer, praying together with others, praying alone by yourself. It's a, a tool, it's an opportunity, it's a connection point that God has given us uh, that can be sometimes challenging to know how and when and what. And so as we go through the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about preceding everything in life with prayer, preceding the day in prayer, preceding big decisions in prayer preceding any decision you make or anything you do in prayer, always considering that have I preceded this in prayer? Did I start with the Lord leading? Um, have I allowed him to guide me in all that he does? I did, I've, I've, you've heard me say this, we say it every Sunday, precede in prayer. I did have a gentleman once come up to me and he said he started preceding things in prayer and he saw a significant difference in his life. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't put this into practice, if you haven't determined that you're going to precede uh, decisions, you're going to precede things in your life with prayer, uh, it's worth putting into practice. God shows up and he makes a difference in our lives. Well, this weekend is a, is a holiday weekend. It's Labor Day. And believe it or not, Labor Day will be connected to my message in one way or another. For those who are history buffs, maybe you've read about the history of Labor Day uh, that the Industrial Revolution occurred in the late 1800s, and, and this was a boom of factories. And in the United States, we had a boom of immigration, and so we had all these factories, and all this stuff was being manufactured at a high rate, and we needed workers. And uh, there were really no guidelines to the age requirements of workers. There was no guidelines to what a worker would uh, work for a day or how many hours or how many days would that worker work. And this became very frustrating because those who own factories would push and push and push. And to the point where there was a major conflict within our country. May of 1886, uh, in Chicago, there was a riot called the Hay Market Riot. Haymarket Square riot. And in this riot, seven police officers were killed. It was a, a tragedy. But it was the brewing up and it was the rising of, of a lot of hostility within our nation about working conditions and the, the workmen and all those that were putting time and energy, especially children and people that were uh, not being seen as, as having value were being abused in this way. And so legislation was put into place. In 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed into law that we would celebrate Labor Day, that we would recognize the importance of the hard work of a people in, in the maintaining of a civilization, the maintaining of a nation. 
and, and really recognizing that all those that work for a living, those who are helping the structure to be healthy and grow, are beneficial and should be valued. And there's a value to every person that puts in a hard day of labor. And the Bible in the New Testament talks about if you don't work, you don't eat. Proverbs talks about the benefits of, of work and how we should value work and how we should esteem work as something that is wonderful, that God has given us as a gift so that we can have a purpose in life. And so this holiday is important and valuable, but as I was reflecting and kind of studying all of this, I recognized that this goes even back much further, even thousands of years. If you go back to when uh, Joseph had brought his family into Egypt, and if you remember the story, uh, for about 400 years, the Hebrews became slaves to the Egyptians. And as they were slaves, they didn't have work weeks. Uh, they weren't allowed to, to recognize their Sabbath. They weren't recognizing, uh, they weren't paid. They weren't recognized as individuals within the, the community. They were slaves. They were misused. And through this, there was a lot of things that, that rose up, and there was frustration, and there was anger. But even in the midst of this, the Hebrews took on some of the Egyptian traits and that they would follow later some of the things that they carried with them. Even into the future when Jesus arrives and the Romans have taken over. And then in the Roman culture, they had an interesting work week. Some of you, you read the New Testament and you say, uh, this happened in the third hour, or this happened in the sixth hour. That was because that's how Roman uh, time was broken up, that they had certain hours of the day. So there was a time at nine in the morning when all work began. There was a time at noon when work stopped. Many times they would use an instrument, a horn of some nature to declare work stops. And then three o'clock, work begins again till six o'clock. And then night would come. And these were all things that were instituted. And if we could go back, we got ahead of ourselves on the slides. It's really interesting to me, and go back one more, is all of these things continued to take place where there was a time and then there was an instrument played to tell of another time. And the Hebrews, as they were working in the Roman conditions, they began to decide, well, when they play this instrument, we're going to pray. You can even go back to Daniel when he would pray three times a day, or King David who would pray seven times a day, were connected into these instruments that were pay played on a three-hour or one-hour uh, determination. And so it's interesting that you see that the structure began to grow and change and, 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 and work in different ways. And during the Roman times, when these horns or whatever was, was used to declare that this is the third hour, the Christians would begin to pray. This, began, this built something within them. The reminder of that noise was, all right, it's time to pray. It's time to pray again. And as time went on, we're told that Constantine, he actually made Christianity the national religion of Rome. Everything switched over. And now the monks and the priests would build these cathedrals. And on the top, and many of you have seen these cathedrals. You've seen bell towers. And they would ring the bells. And we're told that there's something called a canonical hour. This is seven hours out of the day where the bell is rung and certain prayers are to be prayed. And so historically you went from Egypt to Rome and all these things that are happening. And now you have the church every uh, seven times a day there's a bell rung. And when the bell is rung, that means it's time to pray to the Lord. Do you recognize, how many of you have a wristwatch on right now? Do you know the foundations of a clock 
clock, which is Latin and Celtic for time or bell, the ringing of the bell. And the purpose of the ringing of the bell was to remind them it was time to pray. Do you recognize the reason we have watches and clocks that chime and play bells was because they wanted to be reminded it was time to pray? Have you ever considered that? Now my question is, the very thing that these clocks were invented to do in our culture today, what do we value more? The tool that is there to remind us or the very thing of prayer? What do we value more? The clock that we wear on our wristwatch, the clock in our house, the clock on our car, or the prayer times that it's to remind us of to do every day? Have you ever considered how we flipped everything upside down? Its purpose is completely dismissed. If you were to talk to most people in our culture today and say, what is the purpose of your watch? What is the purpose of clock? Why are we keeping track of time? Why is there an alarm system? Why are there bells? This morning at 8 o'clock, the church chimed in, and at 10.30, it chimed in again. What's that for? What's that all about? How did that start? You can go back to Egypt. You can go back to Rome. You can see God using these things to stir the hearts of his people, to remind them to seek him every day. To seek him in prayer. To seek him in commitment. Some of you may have grown up in a, a Roman Catholic tradition. And you may have heard of these things like the Martin, which is Martin's is, is nighttime. Loud's is early morning. Prime is the first hour of the day. Terce is the third hour of the day. Sext is noon. Nuns is the ninth hour. Vespers is sunset. And Compline is the end of the day. All of these bells that ring with names have prayers that are connected to them. What is the purpose? It's so that we would seek the Lord all day. We would pray without ceasing. Amen. That we would look to our Heavenly Father instead of to our only earthly wisdom. And I suggest to us this morning, we're in a Baptist church, that it would be beneficial for us to make a plan of prayer in our own lives. And that the Lord is desiring for us to seek him on a regular basis. To make a commitment of prayer to him. To make a commitment of communication with him. And so that's what we're going to look at. When should we pray? As Bible-believing, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians. When should I pray? When is prayer applicable, important, and necessary? And so before we look to God's word, let's precede it with prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of life. We know that you know every thought we're having right now. You know our soul. You know our mind. You know our, our physical body. You know our uh, eternal nature. Lord, we pray that you would help us now uh, to hear from you in a way that maybe we haven't heard, that you would spur new uh, desires, that, Lord, our minds would be clear, that we would understand these things. And, Lord, I pray that we would make firm commitments in our life, that prayer would not be something we just do here at church or something that we do as a side, but something that is important in the middle of who we are. And so I pray that you would bless your words as you speak to us, help us to know you more, and give us a desire to want to seek you all the days of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our base verse or our base verses for this uh, series is going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a lot there, isn't there? And that's what we're going to look at as we begin to look at prayer and how do we apply it, how do we live it, live it out. But I think one thing we can see very clearly is God desires us to make a commitment to prayer. He wants us to have corporate prayer, meaning we pray together. He wants us to have individual prayer where we pray alone, where we're praying in a place, a secret place, that, a place that isn't public, a place that is just him and us. And so he desires us to plan our prayer and be ready to pray at all time and be committed to prayer. But there's a problem, and let's be honest, all of us will recognize this problem. It's a problem we see everywhere, and it's a problem we may even see in ourselves. And I think the root of this problem we can find in the book of Job. If you don't know the story of Job, if you haven't read the book of Job, it's an interesting book. It's one of the most interesting books in the Bible. We're told it's one of the oldest uh, accounts. And it is amazing how, how God and, and even Satan interact and deal with this man named Job. But Job comes to some very powerful truths. He comes to some very powerful points of wisdom that God gives to him. And Job is reflecting on the world in which he lived in at his day. And here's what he says in Job chapter 21, verse 7. And we're going to go all the way to, to verse 15. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows and calves do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of the timbrel and the lyre. They make merry the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And then finally, the point that he brings, what would we gain by praying to him? What would we gain by praying to him? I believe if you read it, a journal of a Christian today, this could be as as modern and as relevant to us today as it was in Job's day. Why is it, if prayer is so important and prayer is so valuable, so few, so few people do it? And why does it seem that a world that is prayerless seems to still have blessing and benefit? If prayer is so important and so valuable, why do so many people have nice boats and nice stuff and nice houses and, and never seem to get sick and never have financial problems and never have any of these issues and then they go to death in peace? Why is it that people can be prayerless and still prosper? Have you ever considered that question? Why is that? And for many of us, whether subconsciously or consciously, we decide, or our relatives decide, or the people that live around us decide, well, if it doesn't make the impact that I want it to make, then why should I even do it? And so we see a world where people have rejected, just like in the world of Job's day, where they say, I don't need prayer, I don't need to seek God, I am going to be fine without him. 
And this is going to be the temptation for all of us. Our temptation is to live a godless life, a prayerless life. My temptation will be never to precede anything in prayer, but just do whatever I feel like doing. The temptation you will have in your life is never to precede by pursuing God, but only pursue whatever it is that you want. This is the clear challenge for all of us. This is the problem. This is why so many don't pray. This is why so many don't even attend or belong to any believing group of churches or or groups that study God's word. Because they've decided it doesn't really matter. It's not that big a deal. And so prayerlessness is prevalent. Would you agree with me that prayerlessness is prevalent? Even in our own country, we prayed at 9-11. And then we stopped praying. And now no one talks about prayer. We don't even say thoughts and prayers anymore. We have censored and deleted the word prayer out of our vernacular as a, as a people. Because to admit that prayer is important is to admit that there is a God. And to admit that there is a God, we must have a relationship in one way or another with him. And so this morning we see the problem, it's pretty clear. Will we pursue God? And what is the best way to pursue God? Through prayer. And so here are the benefits. Here is the truth. God gives us an answer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's an amazing verse. I would highlight it. I would put it uh, on your mirror. I'd put it on your refrigerator. I would put it everywhere all the time so you see it and read it and think about it because it's really amazing, a promise that God makes. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is not new to many of you. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know one of the greatest benefits of committing yourself to prayer, one of the greatest benefits of preceding everything in prayer, is that God says, if you do that, I will guard your heart. I will guard your mind. What's guarding your heart? What's guarding your mind if God isn't? What is? What's guarding your heart? How many people have had broken hearts and they trust no one? And they'll never have a deep, intimate relationship ever again because their heart has been destroyed. How many have have allowed things into their mind that have caused such issues and problems never to be the same? I think now more than ever we can see the value of God guarding our hearts and minds. If you want your heart to be guarded, if you want your mind to be guarded, then you need to seek the Lord in prayer. You need to precede in prayer. You know what's amazing? That more than anything else, God doesn't want our money. He doesn't want our abilities. He doesn't want all these things. These are all reflections of our heart. He wants us. He wants me to come to him and say, I am yours. Teach me, show me, lead me, guide me. God isn't sitting there saying, well, I have this job that got to get done, and who's going to do it, and if he doesn't? No, he says, I love Mike. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. 
And I want you to seek after me every single day of your life. And when you start the day, I want you to start it with me. And when you start that relationship, I want you to talk to me about it. When you start that decision, I want to talk to you about it. And when you deal with that circumstance, I want to talk to you about it. I want you to hear from me. I want to communicate from heaven to you in a very deep, personal way. Uh, And I'm always ready. You know, you can walk away from God your entire life. And then at any moment, turn around, he's still waiting for you. He's still right there. He desires relationship with you much more than you desire relationship with him. But it's a personal choice. It's a desire. Do I want my heart guarded? Do I want my mind guarded? Am I willing to precede everything in prayer? Am I willing to make the commitment of doing the thing that is not easy? Do you know why prayer is so hard? Because our flesh doesn't want us to do it. You have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. If you fight against your sinful nature, it will fight back. If you commit yourself to prayer, preceding everything in prayer, guess what? It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to feel right. Sometimes you have to persevere through those times because your flesh will fight you back. We need to recognize as believers in Jesus Christ that we're still in a sin-cursed world. And prayer is the most powerful thing we have. Therefore, sin will attack the most powerful thing we have. And so I believe the main reason most of us don't precede things in prayer, don't live prayerful lives, is because we haven't gone to battle with our flesh and had the control over it that God gives us when we commit it to him. The perfect example we're given of this is Jesus himself. We're given at least 25 accounts of Jesus committing himself to prayer. Jesus, the one who doesn't need prayer like we need prayer, commits himself to 25 times at least of prayer. He teaches prayer. He points people to prayer. His whole picture is be like me. I go to the Lord for everything. I go to the Father for everything. I submit to the Father in every way. I precede everything in prayer. You know what the most interesting thing to me is? The first thing that happens in Jesus' ministry is he follows the Father's leading. And where does the Father lead him? Into the desert to be tempted. Why? So that he can overcome that and show us later who will read it the power of committing ourselves to the Lord. But he didn't lead him to an easy place. He didn't lead him to something that was easy or, or fulfilling. He led him to a challenge. And in prayer, God may lead us to places and challenge us for our benefit, for our growth, and for the benefit of those around us. And so when I precede in prayer, I'm battling the flesh, I'm obedient to the Lord, and he will bring the victory as I follow him. Mark 135, we're given an example of Jesus' lifestyle, what he was committed to, his holy habits. Mark 135 says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Jesus, whose mission was to save us from our sins, spends a lot of time alone in lonely places seeking his father. You know, you may feel alone today. You may feel like you're in a lonely place. Well, you're just where Jesus was. And what did he do in that place? He he was seeking the Father in prayer. He was preceding everything in prayer. 
He was, he was going after the Father. This morning, are we willing to make that type of commitment? Are we willing to precede our lives, decisions, everything? When you precede it, you give it preeminence. It becomes number one. It's not your job. It's not your health. It's not your relationships. It's not all the things that we're told should be number one. When we precede it, it's Christ is number one. How well do you want to know the Lord? What would keep you from preceding your day in prayer? What would keep you from preceding your decisions in prayer? What would keep you from a deep, meaningful, passionate, intimate relationship with God? What would it look like if everyone that claimed to be a Christian preceded their day, preceded their decisions with prayer. Do you know what I found? And this is a really helpful tool. If you have an issue with someone, let's say you don't like them, they, they bother you, they get on your nerves, when you pray for them, it's hard to hate them. Did you know that? When you pray for someone and you're asking, God, I need help with this person. Help me to find value. Help me to find patience. Help me to find whatever it is you're wanting me to learn from this. It's then hard to turn around and gossip around them. It's hard to belittle them when you're praying about them. Those struggles you have in your life, when you pray about them, it defuses them. Because then you realize God's in control. And I have nothing to fear. And he's guarding my mind. And he's guarding my heart. And I can get through this because he's with me. Because I preceded it with prayer. When you start with prayer, no matter what happens, he's with you, guiding you, protecting you, leading you. It gives you assurance and security. You see, that the problem that Job brought up was that so many people think they can then live their whole lives without God. And maybe they can live their whole life with God, but they cannot live after this life without God. The problem isn't the here and now. It is what yet, what's yet to come. The problem with everything is one day we'll wish we prayed every day. One day we'll wish we preceded everything with prayer. One day when we pass from this life to the next, everything will be clear. But in these moments, God is wanting to see, will we have faith? Will we be committed? Will we pursue him in prayer? Will we make him the priority? Will we precede everything in prayer? And so application, in your, in your bulletin, you can get one on your way out. There's a sermon-based study. It just says, God, I want to know you more. I want to ask questions and come to answers. I want to hear from you. I want to live for you. I want to know what it is to be uh, your child and precede things in prayer and have a healthy, strong prayer life. How many of you would love to say, I have a healthy, vibrant prayer life? I have a prayer life that impacts every area of my life. I have received and I acknowledge this gift of prayer, communication with God, and I, I would give up anything so I can have it in my life. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. And so we have to combat our flesh that says, no, 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 no. There's better stuff than prayer. There's better stuff than prayer. Don't, don't listen. Don't do that, right? We have to combat that part of ourselves and be honest with ourselves that that exists. And we have to say no to it and yes to the Lord. And so the first thing we must do is make a commitment to precede everything in prayer. 
Would you make that commitment? Would you say, I'm going to precede things in prayer? I'm going to prioritize prayer. I'm going to make sure that prayer is part of my day-to-day life. Before I do something, I'm going to pray about it. Before I make a big decision, before I go outside, before I eat my first meal, before I say my first word, whatever it is, precede it with prayer. It doesn't have to be an eloquent, written-out prayer. Prayer is much more of, hey, Father, I love you. Help me now. Guide me now. Give me wisdom now. My Father who loves me, who wants the best for me, I need your help right now. Help me to trust you right now. Help me to follow you right now. Father, thank you for this thing that you've done. Thank you for this gift. And Lord, help me to overcome this challenge. Those are the types of prayers that he wants us to pray to him. Seeking him for wisdom and understanding. Seeking him for guidance. These are the things that he wants us to precede our lives with. Make a prayer plan. It's amazing that when no one had clocks, there were bell towers. We have clocks. You have so many clocks, you don't know what to do with all your clocks. You could literally make everything a clock in your life. You could have alarms on your hand, in your ear, on your glasses. You can have alarms everywhere now. You can't get away from alarms. How about some alarms that remind you, hey, stop and pray? Just for a sec. Hey, refocus your heart. Refocus your life. Get it back on the Lord. What if we made a plan that... We know we drift away from these thoughts. We know we drift away from prayer. Something that would ring like a bell. Hey, pray again. Focus on the Lord again. Get back on the right path again. Make a plan. Do you know what happens when you don't make a plan in life? Your life makes a plan for you. And it's not a good one. You can let life happen to you. We know what happens when you let life happen to you. It's not fun. Make a plan. Allow yourself and encourage yourself to make that commitment. And then finally, some of you have been prayer warriors. Some of you encourage me. Some of you remind me of the importance of prayer every time we talk. Teach this to someone. Do you know what the best way to learn is by teaching? And then they're going to look at you and say, well, what about you? Do you pray? It's an amazing way to be held accountable. You can all look at me and say, well, Mike, you talk about this. Are you doing it? Are you faithfully preceding things in prayer? Do you know the beauty of telling someone else about something you believe? It puts you into a new commitment level. But it's a worthwhile commitment. It's a worthwhile pursuit. There's a lot of things in life that we're told are worthwhile that really aren't. This is the greatest worthwhile commitment you can make is to prayer and to seeking the Lord in everything in your life. So what is God telling you? What is God saying to you right now? How is he speaking to you? Let's pray and just take a moment to listen. Listen.